Hello, and welcome to the Applicant Podcast. I'm Rebecca Tripp, and today I have with me Piper Riley Thompson. So Piper, thank you so much for joining tonight. Thanks so much, Rebecca. I have been really looking forward to this. Me too. Me too. Um, so why don't we start off with you just quickly introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So I'm Piper. I'm currently based out of Calgary. It's a very new city to me. I moved here about five and a half weeks ago from Winnipeg. Um, but prior to living in Winnipeg, I went to the University of Windsor for law school. Um, and prior to law school, I went to Mount Allison University in Sackville, New Brunswick. So how did I end up in Calgary? I am here on a maternity leave contract as the senior career advisor at the University of Calgary Faculty of Law. And for me, this was a dream come true position. I have always dreamed of working with law students in this coaching and advising capacity, running law school programming. And so far, um, I mean, I've only been in Calgary for about five and a half weeks, but I started my role um, now about, oh, can I do math? No, that's why I went to law school. Um, <laughs> I, started, I started my role the second week of September. Um, and as we record this, it's the end of November. So I've been in the role for almost three months. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm a senior career advisor there. And I, I love that. That's my day job. My pretty much full-time night job is I run Ontario Bar Exam Coach. So I help um, lawyer licensing candidates in Ontario um, develop the skills and, and the mindset tools required to study for and write the two lawyer licensing exams in Ontario. Um, and I run um, a course and group coaching program called the Bar Exam Bootcamp. And then I also work with um, a select number of one-on-one -on -one clients as well. And then my peer, my friend from law school and um, an amazing, amazing lawyer who you've had on the podcast, Erin O'Rourke, um, we run Off the Tracks podcast together, um, which is how you and I connected first, Rebecca. Um, it's about atypical legal careers and exploring what it means to be in the legal profession um, when you, you know, carve your own path and go your own way um, off the tracks, if you will. Um, yeah, that's that's me right now. I feel like um, you know, at all moments, I am trying to like explore new passions and dive into new things. So I'm, I'm never bored. <laughs> it, it doesn't sound it. No. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you mentioned off the tracks podcast and that's where we met. And that's also kind of where this podcast somewhat started. It, it piqued my, my interest. It kind of started that flare of me thinking about starting my own podcast. And I, I'm really happy that you're finally on this and we're kind of switching roles. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So before we dive into your career in law and kind of what's happened after law school, um, I want to first discuss your educational background and how you came to the decision to go to law school in the first place. Definitely. So I, I'm going to take you back to high school, which is not something I, I ever really do, but I think it's really the important historical context. Um, I went to, I, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I went to high school inside the University of Winnipeg. Um, there is a high school in the University of Winnipeg, and I went there for all four years of high school. And because of that, I had automatic, seamless admission to the University of Winnipeg. I was just guaranteed acceptance, um, that type of thing. 
And when I was in the fall of grade 12, I applied for a scholarship called the Loran Scholarship. And it is this um, massive scholarship that's only tenable at certain Canadian universities. And the University of Winnipeg wasn't one of them. And when I was, you know, on this scholarship website and looking at all the universities it was tenable at, I found this school in a town with literally one traffic light, Sackville, New Brunswick. I found this school called Mount Allison University. And Mount Allison offered everything I could have ever dreamt of in an, in an educational institution. It involved um, getting, out, getting involved outside the classroom. It had really small class sizes, really like hands-on experiential learning. And I just thought, oh, this is a school for me. It had never been um, in the discussion for um, me to go away to school when I had this automatic acceptance to the University of Winnipeg, and it was very, very close to my childhood home. And this is one of my favorite stories to tell because, you know, I, I applied for this scholarship and, you know, 17-year-old me was like, you're going to get the scholarship and you're going to go to Mount Allison. And I didn't get the scholarship. Um, and I, you know, still applied to Mount Allison and it was the only university I applied to, um, other than my automatic admission to the University of Winnipeg. And I, I ended up being able to, you know, get a smaller scholarship to go to the school and, um, go to Mount Allison. And you might think, Piper, how is this connected to you going to law school? Mount Allison is what is very insular and because it's in a small, very, 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 very small picturesque university town you live within this bubble of just the school and the mount allison community is amazing i had the most wonderful experience that i would never trade for the world but it was a, a school of very high achievers and there was never a conversation about not pursuing um, at least in my circle there was never a conversation about not pursuing something after you graduated and so while other people, you know, in other environments might have pursued a gap year or gone straight to working, um, that just really was not even something that crossed my mind. And I don't look back on my life with any regret, but I do think that knowing what I know now about being an adult and out in the world, if I could go back and change one thing, it would be to have taken a gap year after my undergraduate um, I was really burnt out and I was in no position to pursue a new, really rigorous academic endeavor. Um, but I ended up going to law school. I applied to master's programs and law school, and I had actually accepted a master's program at the University of Saskatchewan, a master's in public policy. Um, the due date to accept it was March 31st, and I think I got into Windsor Law on April 6th. And so it was like a week later, I'd already accepted this program. And then I had to come back and say, oops, sorry, I'm going to law school. Um, so that's sort of how I ended up at law school. It wasn't ever really the um, vision of, oh, I can't wait to become a lawyer. It was just, this seems like the natural next step based on the environment I'm in. Um, this seems like the right thing to do. Um, and it it really just felt like, okay, this is what you go do now. This is this is what life is now. And I didn't know lawyers before going to law school. Um, my grandfather was a lawyer, but he passed away when I was three. So like, I, I really didn't have lawyers in my vicinity and I didn't know what being a lawyer looked like. And I was someone that was, uh, the, the joke is K to JD, kindergarten to your law degree with no break. And I definitely was like a very, I was a naive 22 year old that thought I knew everything. And then I got to law school and I went, 
oh my goodness, I know nothing about the world. So definitely the first year of law school was a kick in the pants for sure. Hey to JD, I've never heard of before, but I hear yes, it's what you're saying. That, that feel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you ended up going to law school. You ended up graduating. Yeah. Um, and as we all know, like lawyers have to write a bar exam before they can start practicing law. Um, so could you explain the process a bit? about process to become a licensed lawyer and the logistics behind it. So for example, like what is articling? What is the bar exam and how long is it? Those kind of, those kind of details. Absolutely. So every province has different requirements. So I will speak uh, primarily about Ontario um, because I feel that's probably where your audience is mostly located or might be curious about. Um, but articling is a requirement that is mandatory across the board in Canada. So just the length of articling might vary province to province. So some provinces might have 12 month articling. I know during the height of the pandemic, some provinces went down to 10 months or eight months. I believe though, please check the Law Society website for confirmation that um, articles in Ontario um, were previously 10 months went to eight months during the peak of the pandemic, eight or 10, your, your employer could decide. And I think, I think it's back to 10 months, like a hard 10 months, but I'm I'm not 100% positive on that. Um, and articling is really like a training term. It's a mandatory training term. You must complete it, um, to really get hands-on experience. What people don't realize is most law schools are very um, academic in nature and don't offer a wide range of practical hands-on experiences. Typically, if you wanna seek out that hands-on experience, you need to participate in extracurriculars and volunteer experiences like clinics um, or internships. Um, But law school is is by and large more about black letter law, Um, but other schools like Toronto Metropolitan University are, are really trying to shake that up and change that, which is great, great to see. But articling is there to give you that that hands-on, here's how the law actually works now that you've learned all about it experience. Um, And you have what's called an articling principle. So at the firm or organization or, um, you know, government um, entity that you work at, there's a more senior lawyer who is your supervisor and gives you feedback and, and sort of runs your training year in tandem with you. And then the bar exam, again, varies province to province, and many provinces have adopted uh, a more course-based approach where students go through like hands-on training courses with with projects or mini exams. Um, But Ontario is is very, you know, sure of their process, which um, a lot of people um, don't necessarily agree with. And I have many thoughts on that as well, but that is maybe a, a whole other podcast um, or series of episodes in and of itself. Um, but in Ontario, students um, in their licensing term, so a licensing term is three years. So you have a three-year period to complete articling and successfully pass both bar exams. And if you cannot complete all three of those things within three years, um, you need to have a conversation with the Law Society. And so in their licensing term, they complete the solicitor exam and the barrister exam. Both exams um, are identical in formatting. They're, they cur- as they currently exist, 
They take place in four and a half hours of time, and they are 160 multiple choice questions. And if you divide four and a half hours by 160 questions, that means you have one minute and 41 seconds per question. They are open book exams, and each exam comes with approximately anywhere from 900 to 1100 pages of um, material that you will have as a as a resource open in front of you and um each exam you know it's self-study and um they they test different competencies so the barrister exam tests you on civil litigation, criminal law, family law, and public law, other otherwise known as like administrative law, um, and professional responsibility, so ethics. And then the solicitor exam tests you on business law, estates law, real estate law, and professional responsibility ethics. Um, so those are sort of the seven core subjects plus ethics that you are studying for these exams. And it's a really stressful process. The bar exams are offered um, similar to the paralegal exams in Ontario, the bar exams are offered three times per year, and um, students can can write them at the same in the same sitting or separate sittings. Um, it's really up to them. But for the vast majority of law students who attend law school in Canada, most of them will write the exams um, in June, um, which is sort of like they've graduated in April, let's say finish their exams and their law school exams in April, they study all of May and for part of June and write in June, but that is an extremely stressful six week period for them. Um, so, so yes, that, that's sort of the rundown on the bar exam. Yeah, no, but thank you for the amount of detail. I really appreciate that. And if I'm understanding you correctly, you don't have to complete articling before you write your exam. Like you can go to law school very quickly, six weeks later, write your bar exam, and then afterwards complete your articling. And then once your bar exam and your articling is done, that's when you're called to the bar. Correct. So, you know, sometimes internationally trained lawyers um, and I'm, I'm speaking generally, this could this could be any licensing candidate, but this is what I've seen a lot of. Sometimes internationally trained lawyers come to Canada, they do their national committee of accreditation exams, then they do the bar exams, and then they find an articling position. For students trained in Canada, what you most often see is writing the bar exams, and then they begin articling. There are some larger firms that have stipulations that you must have at least attempted the bar exams prior to articling. Um, but but most firms know, all firms know that you have these exams. And I work with many students who are writing the bar exams while articling, whether it's a first attempt or a or a reattempt. Interesting. That's like so interesting. So what was your experience with the bar exam? Hmm, great question. So I wrote both bar exams in June of 2019 with my peers. Um, I had like had just finished law school in, in April of 2019 and did what I thought was what I was supposed to do. Um, and again, I think this really came down to not having maybe like a mentor or having like the the resources to know that it was okay to have written just one exam in June and I could have done an, uh, the other one in November or I could have done both in November. And I was not in a place to be put, like 
I was like everyone at the end of law school. Um, I'd love to meet someone who isn't burnt out. I was super burnt out and I didn't know myself well enough at the time to know that I was not in a position to um, write both exams. So I wrote both exams in June, 2019. And the exams, I should have mentioned this earlier, the exams, um, when you write them in the same sitting, they take place exactly two weeks apart. So I wrote them both exams in June. And then about six or so weeks later on my third day of articling on July 24th, 2019, it was a Wednesday. I got home from work and checked my email and found out I had failed both exams. And that was devastating. Not because, you know, I I felt like not because I I should have been surprised, I guess, but because I just thought I, I can't do this again. Like it's so exhausting. It is such a rigorous involved process. How am I going to go through this again now, especially that I have a articling is kind of more than a full-time job. Um, so I didn't really have a choice. And <laughs> I um, was scheduled to rewrite both exams in November of 2019. And a few days before the deferral deadline for the solicitor exam, which is always the second exam in each sitting, I chose to defer. And I was really devastated about having to make that choice, but really grateful to myself that I made that choice because I thought to myself, I don't want to fail a second time. I know that I'm not prepared enough to write this exam. The The deferral deadline deadline usually takes place about three weeks prior to the exam. So it's about three weeks prior to the solicitor exam. And it was about one week prior to my barrister exam. And I was feeling prepared for my barrister exam, but I was prepared for my barrister exam um, uh, to, to the detriment or to the loss of the solicitor exam. And so I said, okay, I'll just defer to March. And, you know, it's funny, like there's so much in life in everyone's life that nobody else sees. And at the time I was articling and I had been handed a last minute small claims court trial that um, an associate was working on for two years. And then the associate um, was no longer with the firm. And I was handed the file with no historical knowledge um, five weeks before the trial. And um, I had to learn how to run this small claims court trial by myself. I was like three months into articling and the small claims court trial took place four days before my barrister exam. So I was really um, <laughs> under a lot of stress at work um, and, and studying for this exam 24 seven around the clock, every waking moment that I wasn't at work. And I was living alone in a fam in a city where I had no like familial support or, or a, a wide network at the time. Um, and so it was a really hard time in my life. And it was really, it was definitely like a dark and stormy depressive time. And I was so grateful. I, I postponed my solicitor exam, like I said, to March. And I found out, in, I wrote my barrister exam the first week of November. I found out the second week of December that I had passed it. And I just thought I had so much relief. And, you know, I work with students now, and I'll get into this in a second, who have um, are attempting the exams for the first time or who have failed previously. And something that I come across a lot is when people have failed both exams, like I did, um, it's really hard when you don't feel that you've had a win or there's no win on the horizon. And for me, getting that pass of the barrister exam, even though I still knew that I had to face that solicitor exam a few months later, was a huge um, confidence boost for me because I thought, okay, now I've, I've passed one of these exams. I know that 
I have like the tools and the stamina somewhere in me to, to do it again. So um, then in, you know, January, 2020, I started preparing again um, for the solicitor exam and um, this, the bar exams, it's it's slightly different now and we don't need to get into the minutia of this, but when I was writing the bar exams the first and second time, sort of, uh, they used to only take place on Tuesdays. And so the bar exam was scheduled for Tuesday, March 17th. And on Friday, March, I think 13th, 2020, it was 12.25 PM. I got an email saying the exam was canceled. And obviously, I mean, I, I must admit, like at on March 13th, 2020, I didn't understand the gravity of the pandemic that we were about to face and currently facing. And at the time, I was so unbelievably shell-shocked by the cancellation of the exam, um, especially because the Law Society had sent an email earlier in the week assuring that the exam would go on. And um, I remember spending that weekend like it's a blur, but it's so vivid at the same time. Like one with my couch in, in such shock, my body had been through so much physical, like, like your mental stress becomes physical stress. And it had been through so much stress and strain since, I mean, all of law school, but like since graduating law school with the bar exam. And for me, it was so isolating because most of my peers and friends to my knowledge had passed the bar exams. And here I was, I really felt like I was, um, you know, I was the only one, which so obviously wasn't the case, but when you're in the thick of something, it feels like you're the only person on the planet. And I just, the other thing was, I didn't know when I'd get to write the exam again, the, the law society, and this is, you know, understandable. They, they could give us no indication of when the exam would be offered again. Um, they eventually, and the exam was rescheduled for June and it was, it moved online. So it was the first time that the exams were ever offered online. Obviously the whole world had to pivot. And instead of being written on one day, it was written over the course of two days. Because when I wrote the bar exams, um, it used to be a seven hour exam. Like I said, now it's four and a half hours. And so the seven hours was broken up over, over two days online in June. And for me, when I was writing the bar exams in June, 2020, my solicitor exam for the second time, um, that is the month that all of my friends were getting called to the bar, um, because they had completed their licensing, um, the articling and the bar exams. And while I was so happy for them, I was also still in the thick of, I think I wrote on the 17th and 18th of June or the 18th and 19th of June. And I was still really like in the thick of it of preparing for the exam. And it was, you know, sometimes it's really hard. I, I, I called that year. Um, I, and I still refer to it as this, as, as my losing season, that was a year where I didn't see a lot of wins and there were a lot of people around me having a winning season and something that that year really taught me in life and in law and in careers is the way that you show up for people in both seasons is so important and showing up for others when they're in their own winning season or losing season is crucial. And I think like being able to support your friends and colleagues through whatever season of life or career that they're in is so important. To make an excruciatingly long story short, my apologies, um, is then two months later, I found out I passed the bar exam. So in August, 2020, I found out I passed the bar exam. And two and a half weeks later, I was called to the Ontario bar. And at the time I actually wasn't living in Ontario anymore. I had moved to Winnipeg. Um, but I celebrated that call to the bar none, nonetheless, 
and I um, quickly transferred my license, um, which is a whole other thing, uh, a whole other process. I transferred my license from Ontario to Manitoba. Yeah. What a story. And like, thank you for the detail. I'm really like, I'm hanging off of every word. (laughs) So, okay. So the first time you attempted it was, correct me if I'm wrong, was it November? So the first time I attempted was June, 2019. And then my rewrites, one took place in November, 2019. And then the other one was supposed to be March, 2020, but ended up being June, 2020. So you were, you were writing the bar exam for a year. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so I call it like my 15 months of the bar exam, because the thing that people don't like, um, Aaron, who I host off the tracks with, we where we had like a road trip to and from Toronto uh, to get the bar exam materials because it used to be that you would like had the option to pick them up in Toronto and so we picked them up April 23rd 22nd or 23rd 29 and then I got my bar exam result on August 11th 2020 and so I call it like my 15 months of preparing for the bar exams because the before you write is so stressful And something that I feel nobody discusses is how stressful the after the right is because people in your circle outside of the legal profession, like maybe your family, your friends will say to you, oh my goodness, Rebecca, congratulations, you're done the exams. And you want to kind of scream and say, I'm not done. Like, I don't have my result. Like, this isn't out of my life yet. So even though I wrote my last exam in June, 2020, like I said, I didn't get my results for seven weeks and that was still really brutal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember that time period after writing my paralegal exam and my immigration consultant exam, like you walk away from the test and you, it's not relief that you feel like you just like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like you kind of feel like your to-do list is cleared off for the day, but you you don't want to put away those materials yet because you might have to pull them back out and you exactly. you don't need to get all that studying that you just did. It's a wonky time period. It's like you can't you can't breathe the sigh of relief yet. You can like move things to a different side of your desk, but you can't fully take a deep breath. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> um Okay. So you passed the bar exam and you opened up Ontario bar exam coach and started practicing law as well. Um, what can you tell us about that chapter in your career and being a newly called lawyer? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Ontario bar exam coach is my, uh, coaching and bar exam consulting business. And it started by accident. So like I had said before that my year plus of being involved with the bar exams was one of like the darkest chapters in my, in my life. And I really like removed myself from my social circles during that year. I wasn't able to show up for people like as the friend and person that I wanted to. And I, I've always loved writing and storytelling and, you know, like, just like, I, I really appreciate when people like share openly. And so I did something that I, I just felt like I didn't really talk about it with anyone. I just felt really compelled to tell people about my experience failing the bar exams. Like I really had no reason other than wanting to, like, it was selfish. I want to share selfishly. And then it turned into this thing that has helped people. But the reason I wanted to share was because I felt so much shame and embarrassment from feeling the bar exam. Like I said, I thought I was the only one and 
um, I wanted to let people know that this had happened and what that experience was like for me. So I paid for a Squarespace website and I posted a blog post about five days after I found out I passed the exam. So, I mean, I wasn't brave enough to share it when I didn't have my result yet, but I shared it once I found out I passed. And at the time I had just moved back to Winnipeg. I um, was unemployed. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I sort of had all the time in the world or so it seemed. And I shared this blog post and it, it kind of went a little bit, a lot of bit viral. And in the first 24 hours, it had like thousands and thousands of unique reads and views. And the response was really nothing I could have expected and super overwhelming. And I was receiving LinkedIn messages and Twitter messages um, from people who had failed and had yet to pass or people who had failed and said, who ended up passing and said, thank you so much. Like this, this really resonated with me. And for the people who were still in their so-called losing season, um, they wanted to figure out how I had gotten to the other side of it. And so I was doing phone calls and Zoom calls and texting people, all these people I'd never met before. And then it it almost became untenable because that's how I was spending all of my unemployed time. And that's how Ontario Bar Exam Coach came to be. And um, I, I launched it not knowing what would happen. I, I really had like no, no clue. I thought, okay, this will just be something I do while I'm unemployed and looking for my, my first role as a lawyer. And now, you know, um, it, it really is my full-time job outside of my full-time job. I think I used to really play it off as like a side hustle. And I've had a couple of friends say to me recently, you know, Piper, you don't speak about your business in the way that it deserves to command respect. And I'm really trying um, to do that now. It's like every, most of my time that I'm not at my full-time job, it's coaching clients for Ontario Bar Exam Coach. It's, you know, we're doing all of the administrative work. It's um, building and working on my course and group coaching program. It's, you know, communicating and hosting coaching calls for my group coaching program. So in my first year of Ontario Bar Exam Coach, um, I launched you know, I did it unofficially for about a month and a half and I launched on September 29th, 2020. And then I started my role as in-house counsel at a First Nations health entity on February 1st, 2021. And so in my first year of Ontario Bar Exam Coach, I had over 150 one-on-one ongoing clients. And so what that would look like was, you know, I was in Winnipeg, so I was an hour um, earlier than folks in Ontario. So I would, you know, coach a client from like 7.30 to 8.30. And this is when all of my work was remote. So I'd coach a client from 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., log onto my work computer at 8.30 a.m., noon to one Winnipeg time, I'd coach a client, um, go back onto my work computer. And then the millisecond, the clock struck 4.30 I was coaching clients until probably 7.30 or 8.30 um, nearly every every night. And then I also would take about anywhere from three to six clients a weekend. Needless to say, um, that's really no way for any human being to function. And so thankfully, I was able to pivot my business into this group course, group, uh, group course and coaching program where now I deliver like on-demand videos and lots of different um, hands-on support tools, but I can service more people 
um, in their bar exam journey at one time. And that has just been like such, such a gift because before I was turning clients away constantly, I, I could not meet the demand. And now I, I work majority of the time with my course and group coaching program, but I always do have like a handful of one-on-one clients that want that support. And what I do exactly is the way that I like to frame it is the bar exam is unlike any exam people have attempted before. And what I really try and say to people is like, no matter what kind of student you were in law school, um, like bar exam support is something to consider because just because you were an amazing, like straight A student, gold medalist law student, doesn't mean that you necessarily know how to approach this mind game that is the bar exam. And, and that's really where I come in. And so Ontario bar exam, uh, coach started as I was, uh, practicing or prior to me, like fully diving into my practice of law. And then it continued. Um, and also during that time I was working part-time two or three days a week at, um, a spin studio. And so it was, it was a lot. And, um, but I learned a lot in that season of my life. Um, and now I, um, you know, I left practice in, uh, uh, my last day of practice was September 2nd, 2022. And, um, now I have like, not, I'm, I retired my license. So I can say I retired at, at 28, I retired my license and, um, I, I still run Ontario bar exam coach, uh, from here in Calgary, um, well, uh, during the day being at the university. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what can happen when you just put, you put everything into it. Like you were working in the morning, your lunch break, and then after work, you were doing your like part-time job as well. But it's amazing. Like during that time, you probably didn't feel like you were going to burn yourself out. <laughs> you were just, you were just doing it because you're passionate about it. And I, that's something that I find really interesting when people really follow their passion or just something that they like, it's not like you went into that to create a business and make money. It was just like, this is a skill that I have. This is knowledge that I have. I want to share it with people and I'll do that at like my lunch breaks or after work or wherever it may be. And it's, it, there's just so much power behind when you're passionate about something and like what that can build, um, whether it's a business or a network or like a community, um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. And, and I think too, Rebecca, something that I've learned and have become really passionate about is you can run a heart centered business, a business built on helping people and wanting to do good and wanting to make sure in my case, at least that nobody has to experience the loneliness and like depths of despair that I experienced. I don't, whether when people come to me and they're writing for the first time, I try and think it of of it as preventative. Like, I don't want you to go through what I went to, went through myself. And when people come to me and they are on a second or third attempt and they're rewriting the exams, I want to give them the support that I didn't have. You can run a heart-centered business and still run a business um, and still support yourself and advocate for yourself and value your time and your expertise. And and that's something that's been really hard for me to, to grapple with. Um, especially when, you know, I'm so grateful for the word of mouth referrals, but sometimes I, I had this happen recently. I got a word of mouth referral, um, from a client that I helped very early on in my business, very, very early. And my prices and the ways in which I uh, package my offerings for clients have changed 
tenfold, um, especially because now um, I, I don't accept a lot of one-on-one -on -one clients and I, I mostly work with people through my course. And so it's always that conversation of having to say, actually, like this person worked with me two years ago and this is not how I show up for people anymore. Um, but that's a really important lesson that I've, I've had to learn and, and struggle with along the way. Yeah. And, and I think any entrepreneur, there is that, that tension point where you have to start like utilizing technology and that's the way that you can, you know, re do recorded sessions and then you can meet a wider audience. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs could, can relate to that. Okay. So now we're back from a technical glitch. <laughs> um, so you just mentioned that you no longer take on one-on-one, -on -one, um, clients or, or, um, you're, you're narrowing down that type of service that you provide and you reach out to clients more, you meet with clients more on, throughout your courses. Um, is that something that you miss? Like, do you want to go back to being able to take on more one-on-one -on -one clients or, or how's that transition going for you? Yeah. You know, the transition really began last, um, March, April. Um, and that's, I first launched my course at the end of March, um, 2021. Um, wait, what year is it? It's 2022, March, 2022. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Time is a construct. Um, I launched my course at the end of March, 2022, um, for all of the students who would be gearing up to write the exams in the summer who were just graduating law school. And, um, you know, it's been so amazing to be able to help more people than I was able to help when I was, it was just me doing one-on-one -on -one work. I still always take on a select number of one-on-one -on -one clients throughout um, each sitting. And it's such rewarding work. And it allows me to still, you know, flex that muscle of what it's like to work with clients one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, it's so lovely, whether they're, they have been students in my course or students one-on-one, -on -one, like, I just got the most beautiful email last week from a student who was called to the bar um, this, this November, and they sent me pictures of them and their family, and it was just such a lovely email to receive out of the blue, um, just, you know, thanking me for my support throughout their licensing journey, and then literally last night, I um, came home from work and I got on a Zoom call with a former student who also just got called to the bar this November who wanted to catch me up on their life. And so the relationships that I've been able to build with so many incredible licensing candidates, whether through my course or through one-on-one -on -one coaching have been incredible. And so many of those relationship, relationships have extended past our formal you know, business relationship as, as coach and student. Yeah. Yeah. There there's pros and cons to both, right? Like it's, exactly. it is nice that you can reach so many more people now. <laughs> um, but yeah, you do get to, you do lose something when you do that transition as well. Um, so what advice do you have for those newly licensed lawyers entering the legal industry? You know, I think being really true to yourself is important. And this is advice that I'm sure you'll hear a lot, but really acknowledging what, what actually you want, because at the end of the day and something, you know, we've all probably had to learn in some way or another throughout our lives is you're the only one that has to live your life. And, um, if you wake up every day and you go to a job because somebody else said it was the job for you, or you wake up in a career because that's what you think you should be doing. Um, you're probably not gonna 
want to wake up and live that life every day. And so my best advice is to make sure that you carve a path for yourself that is something that you actually enjoy. And if you find yourself on a path that isn't what you've envisioned for your life and isn't what you enjoy, to know that there is always another path. And I'm not out here to sugarcoat it and and be inspirational and say, yeah, it's just so easy switch paths. I mean, I recently switched paths and um I'm I'm so grateful I did and I'm happy to get more into this if if a conversation moves this way, but I'm so happy I did, but it cost me a lot financially. It cost me a lot personally to switch paths. And so switching paths is not as simple as okay, this doesn't work, let's find something that does. Um, but, but the switch can definitely be worth it in a lot of ways. And it takes a lot of courage. I think, um, that's something that is overlooked. Like it does take a lot of courage to be like, you know what, like this isn't working for me. I'm going to switch gears and go down this different path. Um, and on that note, you, um, about two months ago published a post on LinkedIn, um, about leaving the practice of law. And if I can, I want to read just like a part of it. Um, yeah. I remember reading it when it first went out and it just, it really stayed with me. So I, I want to read it again. So, um, so this is just a part of that, that post. As I move forward into the next chapter of my career story, I will continue to actively challenge and dismantle oppressive systems, structures, and processes. This transition also marks the end of my time practicing law. I have officially retired my license with the Law Society of Manitoba and look forward to taking my career off the tracks when I start my new role on September 12th. Until then, I'll be spending the next week hanging out with my grandparents, working with Ontario bar exam coach clients, gearing up for the next season of Off the Tracks podcast, and jumping into my favorite spin classes at Wheelhouse Cycle Club. So this was just two months ago. So this is a very recent um post that you made, a very recent transition that you made. And I can only imagine how difficult it was not only to like come up to that decision, but to also post something like that, um, you know, for, for everyone to see. So what were your thoughts, what thoughts were running through your mind when you decided to, you know, click post and, and can you walk us through like that decision process of retiring your, your license? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely, um, where to begin? <laughs> where to begin? Um, you know, I, I think that going to law school and going through the licensing process and practicing law taught me a lot about myself and taught me a lot about what my strengths are. And, um, as I had said earlier, going to law school was, it just kind of happened. I don't have this incredible story of growing up dreaming of being a lawyer or having, you know, this moment happen in my life where I thought I need to go correct every injustice. Um, and I was really lucky. Like I, I articled at a midsize, reputable, full service firm. So I got a wide range of experience. And then I worked in-house at a First Nations health entity doing anti-racism human rights work. So, I mean, I I really got to see a, a large depth and breadth of practice in my short time uh, licensed and, and learning as an articling student. And, 
you know, but what I was able to realize quite early on, um, was that this, this is not for me, this work can be good work and it can be, you know, really important work, but this is not an area where I can be the best me in my career. And I really wanted to seek out something that would make me feel fulfilled and make me feel like I was doing work that was something I was really passionate about and good at and could really like help people and and leave work feeling like I, you know, had made a difference in someone's life that day. And it's not that I wasn't doing that as a lawyer, but I wasn't doing it in the in the method that I wanted to be doing it. I sometimes joke like law school taught me amazing problem solving skills. The the only issue is I love problem solving without using the law. Um, I like using the problem solving skills. I I don't like using the law as the problem solving tool. And so that's what led me to that and a combination of having my experience coaching law students and licensing candidates as Ontario bar exam coach. That's what led me to this, this senior career advisor role. And, um, you know, the, the decision to take the role was, um, abrupt, shall we say, and, you know, I won't get into, um, too, too in depth. Um, but I had very different plans for my life and in my personal life, um, when I, um, was offered the role and it was a very, you know, agonizing process of, uh, you know, there was, there was a few days process where I asked for some extra time to consider accepting the role because I had a lot of personal considerations to keep in mind. It involved moving to a city I had never been to, a city where I knew literally zero people. Um, but it, it involved like the, the role that I had been dreaming about since I'd been in law school. And so pushing send on this LinkedIn post that you just um, very sweetly read a snippet of was really exciting and terrifying because it was exciting because I felt like I was freeing myself from, um, you know, the practice of law, which had never really, quote, been for me. Um, but at the same time, I was really publicly committing to, um, you know, a next chapter. And I, I didn't express what that next chapter was in that, in that post. I, I waited another week as I sort of took a week off in between roles, um, before sharing what my next step was, but I was very publicly committing to a next step. And uh, I thought, okay, this is really happening. Yeah. Do you think, and you might not know the answer, but do you think you might ever go back to law or are you, really set on like retiring your your license and that's just like closing that that chapter yeah you know in life like I've learned that you know you can make plans and the universe laughs at you and makes very different plans um I love being involved in the legal profession and working in the like legal space I I'm really passionate about making like a more just fair accessible um legal profession for everyone and, and helping future generations and existing generations of lawyers, I do not see myself returning to practicing law. And it's not something I personally aspire to or would actively seek out. Um, I would, I would really like be shocked. And I think so would a lot of people in my life. Um, if I ever returned to formal practice, 
but I love working in the legal profession and the legal space. And that's <laughs> definitely, definitely where I hope to remain. Yeah. I, and that's the thing about going to school and afterwards, after graduating, like not following the same path as everyone else. Cause that law degree that you have is very valuable for what you will be doing moving forward for your company, for your position at the university of Calgary. Like it is very valuable. And though you're not practicing law, like there's no education is wasted, especially your, your law degree. So it did, yes, there was some like you know, twists and turns in that path, but it, it led you to where you are now, which, you know, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense that you did everything that you did and you went to law school, even though you weren't really sure if you wanted to be a practicing lawyer. Um, it all just, it all kind of worked out, which is great. <laughs> yes. I'm very grateful. And I think too, like something that I, um, I, I actually shared about on LinkedIn yesterday is you never, there's never quote, a right next step. And as I mentioned earlier, my position, this, this dream position that I accepted at the University of Calgary that I am loving so far um, and feel so passionate about, it ends um, in the fall of 2023. And it it definitely ends. Like I'm, I'm covering a maternity leave for someone who's incredible um, and, and the students love, and she is such an incredible mentor. And I feel so grateful to have the opportunity to, to temporarily step into her role. Um, but I don't know what's next. And that's really like exciting and exhilarating and also terrifying all at the same time. So I'm trying to embrace that. I don't know what the next thing is, but I'm trying to have, you know, hope and um, patience that there will be a next, a next thing. And it will be, it will be just as wonderful, if not even more so somehow. Yeah. Now you are in that role. So how, how are you liking that new role? What, what's your position and what's your duties like? So as the senior career advisor, I would say, you know, and this is not formal in the, in the contract, but I would say it's about like a 60 to 70% working with advising and coaching law students, probably more to like on the 70% end advising law students. And then it's about that 30 to 40% doing programming. So today, for example, um, the day that we're recording, I ran a session that I created actually, which was so exciting because all of the other programming sessions I've been running so far um, have been like, you know, they happen every year. Um, but this session that I ran today was the first one that I've built from scratch, which was a personal branding on LinkedIn session um, that was really fun and um, a great way to engage the students um, in, in a tool that can really help them as they evolve throughout their career at every stage. Um, so there's there's the programming aspect and then there's the advising students aspect. And I just love being able to work with students because what you, you know, you feel so, so overwhelmed and stressed as a law student or any type of student. And what's hard to see in the moment, and I know this from experience is it's really, it can be really hard to see the big picture. And it can be really hard to recognize that you're playing a long game right now. Everything feels so immediate. It feels so imminent. It feels so stressful. Um, when you're constantly trying to hit the milestones of exams and applying for jobs and going to the networking events and, and all the right things, um, but being able to, you know, really speak with people about the career challenges or career aspirations that they have um, is is really wonderful. And my my soul has felt fulfilled from from the very, very first day. 
That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a really great segue into, unfortunately, the last question. Um, I feel like we could talk about so many topics that you've touched on for, for hours and hours, but it does have to end at some point. <laughs> um, so what's the one piece of advice that you would give your 18-year-old self? Oh my goodness. It's so funny. Like if we could sit down and have conversations with our past selves, that would just be what a gift that would be. But, um, you know, I think I would tell her that you never know as much as you think you do. And there's always more to learn. Um, I think that 18 year old Piper didn't really think she had a lot left to learn. And let me tell you, she, she really did. And, and I still do. Um, and I think, you know, early in law school, they, they say to you, and I, I said this to students today, actually, they say, you know, whether you like it or not, um, the people that you're around right now are people that you're going to know by association for the rest of your life. And so advice to my 18 year old self, advice to myself at every stage is to always be kind and to remember that you never, ever, no matter how much you think, you know, because you never know as much as you think you do, you never know what somebody else is going through behind the scenes. And, you know, sometimes it can be so easy. And I catch myself in moments like this too, getting frustrated or feeling frustrated with someone else's behavior or the way that they've treated you. And I'm not making excuses for when behavior is completely unacceptable, but sometimes you can feel frustrated or, or lose sort of like blow a fuse, just feeling like, you know, like you were inconvenienced. Um, but you never know what someone else is dealing with on the other side of the screen or the other side of the table or across the classroom. And so that's something that I would, would definitely want to remind my 18 year old self as well. And I think a lot of 18 year olds don't know that. And it, it does take <laughs> a while to really click into that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and having this conversation with me, despite the technical glitches. Um, <laughs> so where can people find you if they want to connect with you or listen to your podcast? Absolutely. So um, Rebecca, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for this conversation. Um, so people can find me on LinkedIn. It's my full long name, Piper Riley Thompson. People can find me on Instagram, Ontario Bar Exam Coach, or um, Off the Tracks Podcast. People can find me, you know, really, I have a quite quite a unique name. So any corner of the internet you want to find Piper Riley Thompson, um, she can be found. I can, <laughs> you can definitely find me, but those I would say are the main, the main places. And if you're curious about learning more about Off the Tracks Podcast, you can go to offthetrackspodcast.com and about working with me on your Ontario bar exam prep, you can go to ontariobaregzamcoach.com and learn more about my programming there. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun and um, really like allowed me to relive so many different seasons of my life. And it's just really a lesson that like things can change so quickly and like Life can change so much in a week, a month, or a year, and you never know what's around the corner. So to anyone listening right now who is really going through something, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And for someone who is having like a really great winning season, it's also a great reminder that, you know, there's always more to come. There's, there's so much goodness to come and to just really celebrate the moment and the place that you're in. Very well said. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rebecca.